Uh, readings from Isaiah uh, chapter 56, verses 1 to 8. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed are those who do this, who hold it fast, uh, those who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keep their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigners who have bound themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. For, uh, foreigners who, uh, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord uh, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." So you might say, how did we get to having a theme of prayer? Well, let me give you the history. Some of you, quite a lot of you actually, filled in a discipleship survey. Do you remember the discipleship survey? If you don't, then you could actually still fill one in and we'll add it to it. But basically, through that discipleship survey, we decided to do the theme of discipleship and look at some of the things that actually were in the survey that people were asking to know and to learn more about. Last time I preached here, I did kind of like a general introduction to discipleship, and I talked about what it was to be a disciple and how we can be disciples and that kind of thing. But then now we're starting a focus on prayer, because prayer is one of the key areas that people, when they filled in their forms, and hopefully you filled them in correctly. If you didn't, sorry, you don't want to know about prayer, hard luck. Because we looked at it, we read it, and we thought that the majority of people said, we want to know more about prayer. So we have the Lenten Weeks. And during the next few weeks when we're here, we're going to be focusing on prayer in the lead up to Easter. We're going to look at different aspects of prayer. 
And as is customary with me, I nicked something out of a book. All of my best sermons come from other people, partly from God, but also from other people. And I nicked this book. And it's a book by Rachel Hickson. I don't know if I've, I have waved it at you on previous occasions. Um, she's actually, those of you who have been here for many weeks and months will remember Jill Gifford. Jill Gifford? Rachel Hickson, this is, there is a tenuous link. Rachel Hickson, who wrote lots of books and is brilliant, and I heard her at a conference, and I nicked her ideas then, and you've probably already heard them. She is speaking at Jill Gifford's, that is the link, conference up in Grange over Sands in a few weeks' time, and sadly, I'm doing a day elsewhere, so I can't go. And also, sadly, it's full, because she's so good. So she's speaking, but some of the ideas, and there is a poster up about it, because you can go for the day if you want, if Grange over Sands isn't too far, and I would do, only I'm doing a day on the day. Anyway, there we go. But I knit some stuff from her book, and she focuses on several different aspects of prayer, and most of them begin with the capital letter S. I have actually, on previous occasions, used some of her S's before, but over the next few weeks, we're going to use some of hers and some of mine, and Andrew's. There we are. But the beginning is S. This week, we're looking at satisfied prayer. Prayer of joy and prayer of satisfaction. Just as a little bit of a preview, next week, being as it's family service, we're looking at small prayers, prayers of small people and simple prayers. Not that that actually is interconnected, but how prayer can be very profound when it is sometimes simple. I don't want to preempt because I'm not preaching and Andrew might have just those two ideas. Anyway, forget I said that. The next week is, um, and this is a bit of a tenuous link because we're at Lim, but even from Lim, you are doing a songs of prayer and praise. So there we go kind of linked. And then the next one is prayer as sanctuary. And it's talking about how prayer can be a time of reflection, how can be t- prayer can be a time of, of kind of replenishment, and how we can receive sanctuary through our time of prayer. The next week is time for stubborn prayer. Have you done stubborn and persistent prayer? I haven't chosen the Bible reading. Whether it's me, I don't know. But, but it could be that persistent widow who kept on praying and, and, well, actually, she kept on moaning at a judge. But anyway, how prayer that's stubborn can be effective. The following week is spontaneous prayer. I guess we might look a little bit at structured prayer as well, but prayer that is spontaneous. And then on Maundy Thursday, you can see we're nearly there. Maundy Thursday, we're looking at the struggle of prayer. And I imagine that we might look at that passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he himself sweated blood in the struggle of prayer. And then the sorry of prayer on Good Friday, when Jesus, through his death on the cross, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Clearly, we can look at confession and forgiveness on that day. And then I do have to say... The final week is looking at dyslexia because it is the celebration of prayer at Easter Sunday. And of course, everybody here knows that begins with a C, but it kind of links, and I'm just going to do a celebration with an S on Easter Sunday, or indeed Andrew is, and that's no problem because he can spell about as well as I can, possibly worse. Anyway, don't talk about Edinburgh, but there we go. Moving on. So today is the day when we, private joke, when we um, actually look at the whole theme of satisfaction, satisfied prayer. The ability to be content with God. The ability to actually sit down and pray and and have a really good time. For many of us, 
we, well, perhaps we'll pray at difficult times, but for many of us, whether we're praying at difficult times or not, prayer is an opportunity to make a list of, I wanna with God. Have we ever whinged at God? Now, sometimes we whinge with good reason, but sometimes we just, well, we get in the habit of whinging with prayer. Our prayer is not in any way, at any time, satisfied, contented prayer. Some of us find even when we're, things are going well, prayer is so much of a chore, we don't actually even bother to do it. But prayer should be satisfying. Prayer should have rewards of great joy at times. And prayer doesn't actually, honestly, it doesn't actually need most of the time to be hard work at all. We need on this week of satisfaction to redeem the place of prayer as a place of incredible joy, as it said in that passage that Derek read to us. These, that means you and me, it doesn't just mean eunuchs, but anyway, I won't define that word. You and me, we can actually have, I will bring, it says in that reading, to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in the house of prayer. He will bring joy if we actually do all of those things which basically follow him and come to him in prayer. He will give us joy in the house of prayer. That's his promise. As you spend more and more time with God in prayer, he will take you on that journey which will as Ron would say, take you to mountaintops at times, won't it, in prayer? Not just because you like prayer, but also because you like mountains. But also, he will give us those good experiences in prayer. He will give us those moments of breakthrough. He will give us those times, and excuse the pun when we're thinking of those toilet boxes, those penny-dropping moments in prayer. And you love those, don't you, when you get them. But sometimes it's a little bit hard work, but don't forget those moments of excitement and joy and satisfaction. You will also, if you persist in prayer, you will have with him moments of intimacy. And you will have time of of outrageous fun with God in prayer. You will have joy in the house of prayer. Isaiah in that passage goes on to say, there, and that means our, burnt offering and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And although we don't do burnt sacrifices, although perhaps sometimes my cooking might look a little bit like that, sometimes when we pray, it might seem like we are sacrificing stuff. It may seem like perhaps it's hard work at times. It is sometimes a bit of a discipline. But what God is saying in this passage, what he's saying is that discipline is in a sense a sacrifice. And as you, as you offer him perhaps sometimes more of your kind of day-to-day prayer, as you offer him perhaps more exuberant prayer, all of that stuff as you offer it before God is acceptable to him. And in some way, the 21st century equivalent, he will exchange those ashes and give beauty of enjoyment, of great joy. Because he promises, he says in that passage, and he says to us, that we will have joy in the house of prayer. This house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I was thinking, it's true about this house, but also it says in the Bible that we ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And to a degree, we ourselves, like Katie and the others did this morning, 
build our own individual houses of prayer. As Andrew said, we come here and we pray, we read from the book, we sometimes, like tonight, we'll have times of open prayer, and maybe we should do that in the morning sometimes. But also, when we go home, when we walk home, wherever we are, as individuals, we also build a house of prayer ourselves. And the question for you this morning, or one of them is, what sort of house of prayer are you building? Is it a whinge fest or is it a worship centre? Are you, let's have a couple of biblical examples, are you more of a David, King David, or are you more of a Michael? Now, she might have had a gripe because she got man's name, but anyway, but David was exuberant in prayer, and you can see, can't you, sometimes he had a few moans to God in his Psalms, as you can look if you, if you read through them, but at times he was greatly joyful and celebrating. And one example is, is that bit, isn't it, when, when the Ark of the Covenant went into Jerusalem, and, and David was just so celebrate, celebrating, he praised and he prayed in his undies. Now, I don't recommend that, okay? <laughs> Certainly on a Sunday morning, but you can. You can pray in your underwear at home with God. He's not bothered, as long as you're not, and as long as the neighbours aren't looking. But anyway, what I'm saying is that, that he had that kind of abandonment in his prayer and in his praise life with God. And as he did that, his wife, called Michael, as I've mentioned her previous, perhaps chip on the shoulder, that she was really annoyed with him. As he indulged in this great prayer and celebration, she said that this prayer fest was a vulgar disgrace, and so was he. Who are we then? Are we more of a David or are we more of a Michael saying, you shouldn't do it like that? No, you really shouldn't do What sort of prayer house are we building? Another couple of biblical characters. Are we more like Moses or are we all more like the Israelites at times? Do you remember Moses who had that kind of mega moments of shiny intimacy with God? Moses who celebrated and praised and also kind of interceded at many times for the Israelites. Or perhaps are we more like the Israelites who were so ungrateful for their release from captivity and slavery, spent most of their time whinging about how God treated them. Whinging on one occasion about the manner of manner that God gave them to feed them, as we can read in Numbers 11. If only we'd got meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We've never seen anything but this manna. They're not liking their diet. They're not liking the provision that came down like manna from heaven before them. They just wanted to have a go. Are we manna from heaven people, like the Israelites? Or are we Moses people who have those shiny moments of intimacy with God? Do we, like them, the Israelites, think of those wonderful days of slavery and bondage that we reminisce about so well? It might sound ridiculous. Who would ever want to be like that? But when we reflect on the house that we're building, can we have those Israelite tendencies? Oh, for the days when I didn't know God, when I didn't have to read my Bible, When I didn't feel guilty when I didn't pray, it's such a hassle. Have you ever felt a little bit like that? 
let's get back to those Moses moments, to the places where we have worship not whinging in our prayer life, back to the actual basics, to the foundations, if you like, of our prayer house, of realising that it's actually all about relationship with our loving God, about our connection with him. Let us build our house of prayer then from the foundations up. Let's perhaps survey our prayer house for a moment this morning. Does your prayer house look a little bit like something from Homes Under the Hammer? in need of, well, perhaps sometimes knocking down and starting again, but certainly of major renovation. When they look around and they say, who's going to buy this at auction, the mad fools? But God's bought us at auction. God's bought us at a great price, and he wants to work on our prayer house with us. We might be well in need of a refit. We might need a redesign And all of them on that programme just, I can tell you, need complete redecoration. Maybe your prayer house is better than mine. Maybe yours just needs a bit of a spring clean. But all of us need to continue to work on it with God. And if we say we don't, we're actually suffering from pride. And I'll give you a few prayers that you can offer for that one. You and God then, me and God, need to build a house of prayer. And the good thing is, well, the good thing you might think is, that that prayer house is something that's particular to you, it is to your taste, and it resembles both you and God, because it's personal to you both. You can't borrow somebody else's house. Have you ever visited somebody's house and they're so proud of it? You know those before and after programmes or perhaps those 60-minute makeovers when people come in and think, what on earth have they done with my house? You know, that, that they think it's, some people think it's beautiful and then you think, whoa, you wouldn't catch me living in there. But, but your prayer house is decorated together with God to your specifications and his. It resembles you, it resembles your taste, and it's something that you have worked on together. You can't take somebody else's blueprint and say, that works for you, I'm going to do that, and that would be the pattern. Prayer does need guidelines, prayer does need pattern. There are ways in which perhaps we can learn from one another, but your prayer life is individual between you and God. And the great thing is that you can both put your stamp on it. There are rough architect guidelines, but in the end, the final decor is up to you and God together. You are, after all, setting up house together. And it's certainly not living in sin. It's living in love, in relationship with your Heavenly Father. So then, we start at the foundations. And over the next few weeks, we'll be giving you ideas on the structure and the design. We'll give you, if you like, a few colour swatches in your prayer life with God. But in the end, it's up to you to go away and work at it with him, your artistic creator and project manager. And 
just grow and develop because if you do, you will have moments of great joy, you will build that fantastic temple of prayer, that house of prayer, and it will be just so rewarding and a pleasure to live in, even in the rocky times. So today then, just helpful hints for the first... Well, it may not be helpful, you might think, what a load of rubbish, I don't really actually find any of this interesting, but I'm going to give you some kind of things that basically out of her book as well as something that I've thought about. My little slant on it is, let's look first at location in prayer. That's that program, isn't there? Location, location, location. Where are we going to build our house of prayer? Where do we pray? What position, if you like even, do you have when you pray? Positions of prayer. Now, some people think that it would be disrespectful, for example, to stand up when you pray because we want to look kind of in a holy kind of humble huddle, huddle even. But actually, there are times when we can be in that location of just, in that position of just standing in prayer because, you know, when somebody comes into the room and you just kind of, it's a bit of an old-fashioned thing, but people, some people just stand up, don't they, when somebody comes in a room? You know, if somebody comes into a meeting, you know, kind of welcome. And, and in that sense, standing in prayer can actually be a position. And sometimes we need to stand, don't we, with, I've, I know I've done this in certain places, where I've just stood, you know, with God and said, look, God, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm with you with this, you know, I'm standing on, on your ground, I'm, I'm wanting to move forward with you. But also there is that song, isn't there, I stand in awe. You know, that we can stand with our arms up and pray. We don't have to be in a particular place, in a particular position that is acceptable to God. And why not sometimes stand in prayer, as people would say as worship leaders, if you are able. Also, we can sit in prayer, as we often do in church or at home, in a chair. I have a prayer chair, very comfy. I don't sleep in it, which is really good, but... Sometimes there are places where we sit and we just, we just take time, don't we, just to listen to God. And, and sitting, that location, that kind of position, that can be something that actually shows the attitude to God that we're just waiting and we're listening. And sometimes just sitting there in silence and listening to God. We can grow and we can develop that kind of two-way relationship. Kneeling which, again, if you are able, is another positional place to, to pray. And I suppose, really, it kind of emphasises big God, little us, doesn't it? And, and it kind of emphasises the kind of gratitude and, and the, the kind of humility that we can have. And there are times when it's entirely appropriate to kneel at the cross and just to actually offer ourselves to God. To, to as we pray, kind of illustrate our utter dependence on him. And if you want to go the whole hog, prostrate in prayer. There are bits in the Bible. Apparently, I googled it. I do googling as well as concordances because the Bible's not all in there. I don't know about you. Some people have a, a kind of wonderful memory where they remember absolutely everything. I was thinking, how many times do people prostrate themselves in prayer? And the word prostrate in the Bible is there 33 times, and I did spell it correctly. And it talks about how not just kneeling is an attitude of dependence on God, but being lying down with your arms straight down and just actually just falling on your face in front of God and just saying, look, God, I'm totally dependent upon you. And just showing something about him being almighty God is something that perhaps on occasions we might feel moved to do in prayer. Now, this is a little bit of a risky one, and I'm glad Andrew's out of the room as I mentioned this one, driving whilst praying. 
because it is best with your eyes open to pray. It does have to say when you're driving. And Rachel Hickson mentioned something that I do sometimes, and again, this is a whole other thing about prayer, praying in tongues, but it doesn't have to be that you pray in tongues. But sometimes as I'm driving, particularly when I drive from here to Lim on a Sunday morning or even any other time during the week, quite often I'll be praying. Thankfully, nobody's sitting there with me apart from God. And, and sometimes I'll be praying in tongues. And that's the thing I was saying that's a whole other area of prayer. But, but basically, as you drive, if you do, either in your car or maybe on your bike or even as you walk, just praying, but as I said, on your bike. Or, or with eyes, or perhaps even actually as you're walking, it's always good to look where you're going. The, the opening your eyes is one aspect, but, but just praying as you move around. It's interesting that so many vehicles, we have a boat to pray in, and we have a car to pray in, and we've got a motorbike over there, or some of the constructions. I don't think that's perhaps what the children had in mind, but, but it is something we can pray, can't we, as we move. And something about that driving, something about that, that walking, it's time that we have, if we are people who commute to work, but also, it's something that perhaps if we're walking around, the geography will actually make a difference when we pray. If you walk around your area that you live in, do you pray for the houses as you walk past? That is a good thing, the whole concept of, of prayer walking. But also, if you, you go and visit places, you know, like if you go up on a mountain, sorry, Ron, I'm mentioning you again, but if you go up on a mountain, or, or perhaps if, if you go to the sea, or if you go to a river or something, just take time and, and just have time with God. And, and there's nothing quite like those kind of, the aspects of creation. I'm not saying necessarily walking around Birchwood has that for you, but there are places in Birchwood, Birchwood that are quite beautiful. But, but, you know, as you look in creation, there are things that will spur you into pray different things. And, and maybe as you see a waterfall, you think about the power of the cascading Holy Spirit of God. And there are different contexts that lead to different ways of prayer. It says here, praying in the bath. This was one of Rachel Hickson's things, apparently. She didn't just share that with me, it is in her book, but some people, if they have a nice, relaxing, big, bubbly bath, will be there, and, and God doesn't mind if you are nude, but always best in the bath. But, um, but you know, if you're having a bath, you just take time to be with God. Take time just to, to, to just relax and actually, you know, and anyway, that's just, if that's you, or the shower, depending on what you have. Moving on. She said sleeping. Now, I haven't really thought about that much until I read her book, but have you ever been woken up in the early hours of the morning by God? Mm, yes. You and me and several other people both. I often wake up like about five in the morning and think, oh no, all right. <laughs> sometimes you wake up because you're an insomniac, but sometimes you wake up because God wakes you up and he says, look, the sermon you're going to preach this morning, that's complete rubbish, we need to write another one. He didn't actually say that, he perhaps should have done this morning, but he didn't actually say that this morning. But, but sometimes he'll wake up and you'll have like a God idea, you know, and, and you think, oh no, a fresh new vision. Just ask Jenny about those. Anyway, but moving on. So, so God can actually speak to you even during sleep or just as you wake up. Sounds like something out of Peter Pan, doesn't it? But basically what I'm saying, and she says, I haven't really tried this very much, but she says, as I go to sleep, I will say, pray that God will actually speak to me whilst I'm asleep. I think that's a really nice idea. Making the most, time and motion, that is, making most of every opportunity for God to communicate with us. So then... Just some ideas of a place, of position and things that maybe you've never thought of. About how we can, after all, cultivate, if you like, develop our prayer life, which is, after all, the communication that God has with us. 
and we have with him. Prayer. How do you do yours? Are you at that stage when home's under the hammer, you'd only get a couple hundred for your house? Here's to hoping that the plot's there. God can start on those foundations and begin, begin to build it together with you. And what a magnificent, wonderful place he could build. Or maybe there's perhaps an extension that needs to be put on the end to actually make something of what you've got. And God might say, what about this? Haven't you considered this different aspect that you're missing out? Maybe it's something to do with perhaps just shuffling the furniture around a, a little. I don't know. That's something perhaps that we could just consider just as we reflect and give you a moment to listen to God, what he might have been saying to you this morning. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that through Jesus' death on the cross for us that we have that relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, through his sacrifice, he can turn the ashes of our attempts into the beauty of the offering. And we're sorry, Lord, that perhaps sometimes we've seen our relationship with you more like a chore and less like a joy. And we pray, Lord, that even now, you'll begin to take up the tools of the Holy Spirit and work on our relationship. Show us, Lord, what you need to do with us. Show us, Lord, what you have to offer. And help us, even now, to see what you want us to offer you. Help us to grow in you, Lord. Help us to get on and build. And let us grow to know that joy <coughs> that you promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.